0: Who needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cutoff? Ba 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 ba.
1: Tonight on Revolt Black News Weekly, we will not allow small people to create fear in
2: our communities.
1: Keeping names alive as social media declares we will not forget the Buffalo 10 how the community is attempting to heal.
3: Our government has failed to care for the people in this community.
4: Then a police department under fire.
3: Can you explain to us how he was
4: barricaded? We've been given a lot of bad information. Why the response time to the elementary school mass shooting now has a community in Uvalde, Texas divided.
0: We know there's been confirmations that there were officers that went into the uh, school that were able to rescue their own kids.
1: And from South Africa to the Caribbean, we are tracking the
5: headlines as we go black all over the world. (laughs) Plus, why Snoop is canceling his international concert dates. We're in sync. And we're at home with Niecy Nash dishing about love and marriage. THEN WHY THE LADIES OF FOUR COLORED GIRLS HAVE SEVEN BIG REASONS TO CELEBRATE BROADWAY. ALL THAT AND MORE AS THE BLACK NEWS REVOLUTION STARTS
1: RIGHT NOW.
6: IT WAS THE FIRST FUNERAL ALMOST A WEEK AFTER THE SHOOTING. Police escort for the family of Amory Joe Garza.
1: A part of Uvalde and her is just gone from my heart. It just feels horrible. Those are the heartbreaking images during the first of many funerals for the 19 children and two teachers killed in that mass shooting at Robb Elementary School in Uvalde, Texas. Welcome to the show. I'm Naima Abdullahi. We begin with that tragedy in Texas and questions from the community about the timeline on that horrific day. Special correspondent Rochelle
4: Ritchie, you're joining us now and you've been tracking this tragedy for us. That's right, Naima, while those victims in Texas are still being remembered, the gun reform conversation is once again moving to the forefront. This, as the police response time, has put the Uvalde Police Department in the hot seat. That is tonight's top story.
6: Two days after the mass shooting at Robb Elementary, the story of what happened when the gunman arrived on the campus has fundamentally changed.
4: A community asking difficult questions of its police force following the May 24th slaughter of 19 students and two teachers by an 18-year-old armed with an AR-15 and hundreds of rounds of ammunition that he obtained legally. Can you explain to us how he was barricaded? I hear you. Because we've been given a lot of bad information, so why don't you clear all of this up? under the command of Uvalde School District Police Chief Pedro Arredondo, responding officers were ordered to wait for backup in a hallway outside the closed doors. Jesse Rodriguez lost his daughter in the shooting.
7: They should have moved in. You know what? I don't think they had a right to sit there on their ass waiting.
4: Finally, Federal Border Patrol agents arrived, reached the door, and killed the suspect nearly one hour after the shooting started.
8: The active shooter protocols dictate that you go in. So many things went wrong here.
4: In the aftermath of this unspeakable tragedy, the Department of Justice has launched an investigation into the police response. It's hard not to see how someone doesn't get fired for this, uh, for these very, very bad calls.
3: When you think about the treatment that this shooter
9: had compared to the treatment of unarmed Black um, citizens that have been shot and killed by the police, um, the first thing that came to my mind personally was oftentimes the excuse for shooting unarmed black citizens is
3: the police officer was afraid of their life for their life.
4: Justice tonight demonstrations in North Carolina leaving a city on edge. Thirty-seven-year-old single father Jason Walker was shot on January eighth of this year in Fayetteville, North Carolina, by an off-duty sheriff's deputy while walking home.
6: He jumped up, that fella jumped up on the hood, and he jumped out his car and shot it.
4: Among the long list of other shootings of unarmed Black people, 12-year-old Tamir Rice in Cleveland, Ohio, 18-year-old Michael Brown in Ferguson, Missouri, 26-year-old Breonna Taylor in Louisville, Kentucky, and 20-year-old Dante Wright in Brooklyn Center, Minnesota. It's
9: obvious that we also need to really reevaluate um, policing, when it comes to how they handle and respond to mass shootings and mass shooters, as well as to how they respond to unarmed black and brown
0: people.
4: Here to join me for a deeper look into the police response in the Uvalde, Texas School shooting are Conscious Lee and former Tucson Police Officer Brandon Tatum, host of the Officer Tatum Show and podcast. Thank you both uh, for being here. Now, we know that the Department of Justice right now has launched an investigation into this shooting, and many people are saying police disregarded the urgency to help save these children. I want to start with uh, Brandon. Do you believe that that is the case?
6: You no, know, from, from all the information that I have, it does not appear that the police officers on the scene avoided anything or disregarded cries for help from the, uh, the kids that were inside of that room. What it comes down to and what I think is probably more applicable is the disagreement or uh, the, the leadership finding out the proper tactic to use and them not being equipped and having the equipment to move forward to rescue those children at a sooner time.
4: You know, what's interesting about that is that in Texas, the actual uh, director of public safety says that there's a doctrine in Texas right now where it doesn't matter who the lead agency is. When there is an active shooter situation, officers are to go in and not stop shooting until that suspect is down. So even though they didn't have the tactical equipment that you were mentioning, Brandon, that goes actually against their their doctrine. Uh, Go ahead, Consciously. I want to get your take on that.
0: Um, I would respectfully disagree with uh, what Brandon is presenting, uh, especially we know there's been confirmations that there were officers that went into the uh, school that were able to rescue their own kids and didn't rescue the other kids. We also know that there is multiple confirmations and sources that show video of officers literally arguing, tasing and slamming uh, literal uh, parents on the ground trying to go in. Um, that, that has been confirmed. The idea
6: of things being confirmed, um, just because they're on the news or the news may portray them a certain way, doesn't mean confirmation. I have information from people that were actually there. I saw the interview with the gentleman who rescued his children and assisted in rescuing um, other children. He didn't go there to only get his kids. He was a part of the rescue effort that all of the police departments, all
0: the police officers were involved in. We just confirmed before we got on both of our, you and I are from Texas. So this little position you're trying to take in terms of authority and by saying that the way that I say confirmation is not the way you seen confirmation, I think that is the actual conflict that we have in our today's media. When people of law enforcement start talking about facts, they believe that they are the arbiter of what we've seen and believe that, hey, you did not actually see what you didn't see, and I have an actual tactical team that went through training. They're going to tell you what you actually seen.
4: Let me just say this really quick. I think what is frustrating here, though, for many many. many Black Americans is that we always hear these excuses, that's what it sounds like, excuses for why this didn't happen and why that did happen. And so there's a little bit of frustration that I think consciously is expressing that many Black Americans feel. Do you think that if these children were white? this would have been the same response.
0: When we learned in Sandy Hook, when all of America allowed for those little white kids to die, we don't care about kids like that. So to answer your question, no, I do not think it would change because I recognize that it is more money tied into gun lobbying and gun interest groups and those things. What we don't recognize in terms of the kids' values, it's it's, it's less than.
4: What are your thoughts on the the number of unarmed black people that we've seen shot and killed by police? But then, when you look at this, you know, you look at this situation. This young man was shot and killed. However, if you look at what happened in Lakeland with uh, Nicholas Cruz, he was taken into custody. You look at Dylan Roof, he was taken into custody. You look at Peyton Grandin, taken into custody. All armed. People, However, black people that are unarmed continue to be gunned down by, by police, and I think there's a little bit of confusion on why that continues to happen when those people don't pose a direct deadly threat.
6: Well, so I think the confusion starts with the statement that you made. Um, these people are... It's not all the same. It's not like Dylan Ruth had a gun and he was shooting at police officers and they just decided, because he's a white man. Um, that they're gonna let him slide. You know, the person who shot up the subway train in New York City was a Black man, and he survived. Why? Because he did not present himself as a deadly threat when they were approaching him. So
4: was Philando Castile presenting himself as a deadly threat while he was in his car pulling out his license?
6: Well, Philando Castile and an active shooter are two separate situations, so we have to look at response by response. And that's the frustration. That's
4: the frustration, Brandon, because it's okay to shoot somebody that is pulling out their license, but because they're not an active shooter, then we're going to handle someone differently. When you look at Dylan Roof, he just committed a massacre. That's no excuse, just because one is labeled an active shooter. and
0: Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So, yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, But the bag did feel a little light. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.
4: The other one is being well, pulled over for having a broken tail. Well, these,
6: these are. These are two... I understand your frustration. I understand people's frustration. It's because of misinformation. These are two separate incidents.
4: I'm gonna move forward now. So we know that on the anniversary of the death of George Floyd, Biden signed an executive order on police reform. Do you think that that will help in these type of situations? Joe
6: Biden's uh, police reform executive order is a virtue signal. It's not gonna do anything for Black people. It's not gonna do anything for law enforcement. If you look at the bill, the president of the United States only have authority primarily at the federal level. He can't dictate what happens on the state level in state police and
0: municipalities.
4: Consciously, I want to get you in here really quick before we wrap this up.
0: Hey, education is elevation. What does it mean for formal law enforcement to say that the passing of an executive law would not have any effect? It's you not a law. Out. Executive order is not a law. Executive order, a policy. When the the last time I checked, law enforcement was about enforcing, you feel me, social order that's passed down by executive orders, by policies, by laws, by legislation. We can disagree. We can disagree. We can have that debate. Executive order and laws are
6: very different.
0: Recognize those. What he's showing right here illustrated is that when law enforcement, former law enforcement, think about, you feel me, the, uh, uh, turn it down, uh, talk about the uh, police, you know, the uh, police fraternal order, fraternal order police, there is a network of individuals being able to inscribe their personal political policy beliefs onto facts. And what is considered legitimate? It's not going to help us. That's literally what's going down. You see what I'm saying? Well, look, we could definitely continue.
4: We could definitely continue this conversation for the next ten minutes, but we do not have that kind of time. So I want to thank both of you all uh, for joining in this spirited conversation, Brandon Tatum. Consciously, thank you so much for being here with us, and of course, our hearts go out to those families in Uvalde, Texas. We'll be right back.
1: Tom Bradley, uh,
9: uh, the guy in Los Angeles, I consider him to who be powerful, pitiful, who not po- powerful. Who is powerful? Powerful is when you can deliver resources services and substances to your people and not compromise. The only black people who can become mayors of these cities are people who compromise with the white power system and
3: deliver the resources to other places other than our community.
1: Activist oh sister no. soldier calling out deliberate neglect people. of black communities by those in know. power.
8: It's not a black thing. It's not a, black thing. It's not a black thing for the it's last
1: An indictment in response to the LA riots 30 years ago that could have been ripped from the headlines today. As questions arise about intentional disenfranchisement that left the residents of East Buffalo, New York vulnerable to attack, they should still be here. That is the cry across social media remembering the innocent victims gunned down inside a supermarket in Western New York.
3: We will not allow small people to create fear in our communities. Saturday,
1: Vice President Kamala Harris attended the final funeral service held to honor victims of the horrific mass shooting in Buffalo. I need
2: a village to help me raise and be here for my son because he has no father.
1: As the community tries to come to grips with the unimaginable, many ask if there can truly be a way forward without undoing the wrongs of the past. Today, Buffalo is one of America's most segregated cities. Minutes away from East Buffalo stands, a thriving downtown funded by a billion dollar investment in the city from the state of New York.
8: What the reality is, is what's happening downtown is for all of us. So Harbor Center, for example, that's employing people from all over the city.
1: But those development dollars haven't gone as far as promised. A study by the University of Buffalo's Center for Urban Studies found that the city's black residents have not made progress over the past 30
6: years. So it makes me feel like the folks that are in power have just been like, Uh Uh-huh, yeah, Yeah. Mm -hmm. sure, okay. This is overdue, and people are tired.
1: Alexander Wright runs the African Heritage Food Co-op, a group that for seven years has fought to open a Black-owned food market in East Buffalo. Denied, he says, by a system that benefits from keeping Black communities marginalized.
6: Not only in the state, but federally. Like, everybody knows who we are and what we do and how important it is, except where we're from. The solution's here.
9: It's already here. What
6: the community wants is here. We have a building. Only thing we don't have is the funding. Now I think since COVID that we're starting to
9: pay more attention to lack of access to healthy food. But it's been something that this community has always faced. If we're not talking about the deep, systemic, racism that's plagued the city of Buffalo for decades we're completely missing the point point. and I'm, I'm pleading with the president of the United States to pay attention to what's happening in the east
1: side of Buffalo. <laughs> Despite heartbreak organizers like Franchelle Parker remain committed because when those in power let the black community down who can we turn to if not the culture?
6: And that's what the African Heritage Food Co-op is about. Our model is anything less than ownership is unacceptable.
1: Intentional disenfranchisement is an issue that's been heavily debated in light of the tragic events in Buffalo, New York. Here to talk about it, we have India Walton, senior advisor for the New York Working Families Party, Jamil Crew, community organizer and CEO of Cruise Control Media, and Professor Lori L. Martin, fellow at the Center for Urban Studies at the University of Buffalo. Thank you all for joining us for this important and timely conversation. Professor Martin, a poverty and crime has plagued the East Buffalo community well before the horrific events of May 14. Can you give us some context on how policies of the past have created what we're seeing in Buffalo and communities like it across the country?
2: Yes, thank you very much for having me. Sadly, the segregation that we see in the city of Buffalo is not unique to the city of Buffalo, and it's not even a contemporary uh, phenomenon. Uh, We can look at uh, the legacy and the history of Black people in in America, and we can see that they have had to deal with um, many different issues related to unequal treatment um, that uh, have resulted from discriminatory uh, public policies and private practice. You could also cite um, this period that many people talk about as the greatest generation where we saw a mass accumulation of wealth occur after the uh, world wars where white people had access to home ownership and wealth accumulation, but black people were largely kept out of that. And sadly, there are lots of examples of black people receiving unequal treatment. in in, uh, American society since that time.
1: You are taking us back decades, um, even to the early 1900s. Um, uh, India, you actually ran for mayor of Buffalo in 2021 as a democratic uh, socialist. What changes can those in power uh, make in communities of color to undo those systemic wrongs that Professor Martin is mentioning right now?
3: Yeah, I think that our government has failed to care for the people in this community. This very tops where this happened was one of the only grocery stores that services this neighborhood and the food was of lesser quality. The food was more expensive. And we were told we should be grateful that anyone wants to do business in our community. When I ran for mayor, we had a very comprehensive platform that prioritized people, that prioritized community, that had some real solutions that the only thing is needed is to put the resources behind it, right? We have a governor who gave $650 million to build a, a stadium for entertainment of well-to-do people when you we can't even get public transit out to Orchard Park. So that's the same energy that we're putting into supporting the bills and keeping the bills here. We need to make sure that we're putting that same energy into black folks in this community.
1: And Jamil, you are a community organizer and you worked in the office of the current mayor of Buffalo, Mayor Byron Brown for seven years. What were some of the things members of the East Buffalo community asked for as far as resources and ways to prevent crime uh, that have been delivered?
8: They just wanted access to the same quality of life that everyone else was afforded. Um, during my time um, at the uh, working for the city, I can say that you know some progress was made, but there were still large pockets of the community. They had very real concerns about you know about being left out of this this progress and this redevelopment and this resurgence that we saw here happening in the city of Buffalo. We've been seeing black leadership in the city of Buffalo for a number of years, and the conversations that I'm having with people is that they want to they want to have this current administration. Feel like they're being taken care of the same way these previous administrations took care of their community.
0: Who needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles, and a breakfast cutoff? Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.
1: And Jamil, what can the community do to move forward?
8: There's a lot that government can do and should do. Um, Just out of fairness. You know, we've been uh, historically and uh, systemically uh, been left out for for so long. Right. So I think government does play a role. But I think we have enough intellectual capacity um, within our own community. I think we have um, intellectual resources in our community to really build our communities back up. But also, too, again, we have to make sure we, we hold ourselves accountable in our, in our own communities, making sure that we are taking care of our, of our communities, and also, too, making sure that we are putting the, the neighbor back in, in the neighborhoods.
1: Are you saying that the Black community in East Buffalo are not doing those things? No, I'm,
8: no, I'm certainly not suggesting that they're, they're not. I'm just saying that more can be done. We've seen this time and time again, and, it's, and again, it's not unique to just the city of Buffalo. You know, we see it happen in communities of color throughout the country. Right. So, and I think more can, can always be done. So we, we always have to figure out, my mother used to always tell me for, for every finger that you point at someone, you have three pointing back at yourself. We want to make sure that we are, you know, being accountable in our communities while working with government and other partners to make sure that we can build back our communities.
1: Professor Martin, uh, if political leaders aren't advocating or investing in black communities like East Buffalo, what can everyday people do to create their own solutions?
2: Yeah, I think every day people can try to make a difference uh, uh, in their areas, where they are, with the resources that they have as individuals. After the killing of George Floyd, a lot of people said that they wanted to create a better society, and some of those folks have moved on. But if we can't move on, we don't move on, we're committed to this fight, and we have to do what is right, even when it's not easy.
1: India, Jamil, and Professor Martin, thank you for your time. Stick around. There's more Revolt Black News Weekly when we come back.
0: It never gets old to travel such distances and all of a sudden find yourself in another land. All the lead up and anticipation and finally we're here. In Africa, welcome to Johannesburg,
4: South
7: Africa. can't
1: That is DJ EFN, one half of the Dynamic Drink Champs duo, rocking the Rainbow Nation as his coming home series heads to South Africa. EFN takes viewers around the world through the lens of hip-hop. The upcoming South Africa stop kicks off our global headlines as we explore being black all over the world. First up, we head to Russia. The WNBA world speaks out as Brittany Griner's detention now passes the 100-day mark. The two-time Olympic gold medalist was arrested on February 17, facing a drug smuggling charge which can carry a jail sentence of up to 10 years in Russia. The WNBA Players Union is calling on President Biden to use all available resources to free Britney. Brittany Griner's wife has also recently spoken
3: out. I just keep hearing that he has the power. She's a political punt, so if they're holding her because they want you to do something, then I want you to do it.
1: NBA star Kyrie Irving took to Twitter recently to urge the White House to prioritize Britney's safe return immediately. Next, we head to Nigeria. Tragedy has struck the West African country as at least 31 people have been tragically killed during a stampede at a church charity event. It happened in southern Nigeria's Port Hart Court City. Witnesses say children are among those who died and several others were left injured. According to a police spokesperson, the charity event initially attracted hundreds of people waiting in line for food. At some point, the locked gate was broken. A crowd rushed in, which then created the deadly stampede. Community leaders say this tragedy shows an act of desperation that has been ignored with 80 million people in Nigeria living in poverty, according to government data.
8: It's not fair when you see people lying, people that you are standing with, in the next five minutes, they are dying, they cannot talk, they cannot even shake body. Man, it was very, very painful.
1: Let's head over to Jamaica, the home country of reggaeton and dancehall music, both authentic Jamaican sounds that deserve more respect, according to Grammy Award winning recording artist, Sean Paul.
8: It's not something that I hate. I just don't like that the public doesn't know that really it comes from us. And you know, the whole advent of reggaeton, big up to everyone who does it and who loves it and supports it. It, it definitely is reminiscent of what we've been doing.
1: The Jamaican music community has shown growing concerns about the future of reggae music and dance hall, especially after this year's 64th annual Grammy Awards announced that Soja, a white reggae band from Virginia, won the reggae album category, causing outrage and backlash on social media. This added fuel to concerns about the genre. In 2020, Billboard ditched its reggae digital sales chart, which ranked the top downloaded reggae and dancehall songs in the U.S.
7: Afrobeats is taking that spot that we used to operate in. I think it does spell at least a bit of concern for our culture.
1: With Bob Marley considered one of the most iconic reggae artists of all time, for this young generation, artists like Coffee are left to carry the torch.
8: Adapt, but do not adjust yourself to the music. Adjust the music to you. When you adjust the music to your style, then it becomes you.
1: Next up, off to Kenya. The trending hashtag JusticeForSheila has sparked a bigger conversation about the fight for LGBTQ rights in the motherland. This time, bringing attention to the East African nation. In mid-April, Sheila Ariambo Lamamba, a 25-year-old non-binary lesbian, was found murdered in Karatine, Kenya.
0: They really did her bad.
6: I just want justice for my sister. Like the public, you can stick with us and help us to get justice. We have buried her. She's now gone to have to move on.
3: I don't know how people can be out there and be be able to do such a thing.
1: Her case has raised concerns about how too many queer Kenyans are being murdered without any accountability and justice, according to LGBTQ groups. The Kenya Human Rights Commission has stepped in to investigate. But the larger issue remains. Under Kenyan law, gay sex is considered a crime punishable for up to 14 years in prison.
3: It's not an isolated case we die every day like this and nothing is done about it we are saying it has to end we're saying something needs to happen
1: good news out of ghana a self-taught scientist and founder of enough tech stem center is spreading the value of math science and technology through his native country Jonathan Kennedy Sowa's imagination now helps offer lessons on web design, app development, 3D modeling and printing, among many other skills.
0: I knew I could do so much better and I was so restricted, so I dropped out and then started working at an internet cafe. I had access to 24-7 internet, so I got to see tutorials.
1: Jonathan Sowa travels to schools across Ghana to help transform the country's approach to STEM, sparking the imagination of the next generation. And stateside, the city of Minneapolis renames the intersection where George Floyd was murdered at the hands of police officers. Two years later, there is now a commemorative street sign at the corner of 38th Street and Chicago Avenue, which is officially recognized as George Perry Floyd Square. Stick around. We'll be right back with more Revolt Black News Weekly.
5: Welcome back. I'm Kennedy Rue with all the headlines. Jumpstarting this week's entertainment remix, we begin with Snoop Dogg's surprising announcement for his fans. Yeah. Yeah. Snoop Dogg derailed. The hip-hop multi-hyphenate announced the cancellation of his international tour dates due to start in August. Snoop
6: Dogg.
5: The reason for the cancellation is, quote, unforeseen scheduling conflicts, including family obligations and commitments to film and TV projects. Snoop posted on his Instagram that he's looking forward to rescheduling his dates.
4: The rapper XXXTentacion.
0: Artist whose real name is Jose Anfroy. Has been shot. He was a kid.
5: Reaction Online is still blowing up over Look at Me XXX XXXTentacion, a documentary about the late rapper who was shot in 2018. The nearly two-hour doc now streaming on Hulu gives an inside look at the rapper's gifted coming-of-age.
8: Nobody cared about jose on for it until he took I on the persona as XXX.
5: It also features some of the star's most popular songs and rare and personal stories from his inner circle, told through the eyes of the director.
0: I hope that young people who watch this film feel that their struggles and that their experiences are being seen and being valued i think that like x like many rappers in his generation
6: if you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a big mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your mcdonald's bag as a placemat then that wasn't a road trip it was just a really long drive at participating McDonald's.
0: And folks are crying out, saying, look at what we're going through. Look at our experiences. We feel depressed. We feel hopeless. And I don't know if we're listening.
3: It wasn't a secret, but it was private while we were just trying to get our cruising altitude and make sure the two of us had it figured out. And by the time we figured it out, baby, she put a ring on it.
5: Call them the dynamic duo. As we step into Pride Month, Nisi Nash and her wife Jessica Betts are a team ready to celebrate two years of marriage in August.
2: Now, I, I will tell you, now we drip you know the video she co-directed and that was an amazing experience but my wife is a boss okay
5: and that's one of the reasons we're at home with the pair to talk about their latest collaboration the music video for we drip and the duo is also working together on the fox competition show don't forget the lyrics
3: we were able to collaborate for her video we are working together don't on don't forget the lyrics which comes out on the 23rd of this month mm-hmm. i hosted and Jessica's a part of the band and the and we have a new clothing line, which she has on right now, that's coming out in a couple weeks.
9: It's a wonderful feeling. We, we've we been texting each other on our group text all morning, all kind of crazy emojis and gifts and everything.
5: And it's Broadway props for the Ladies of Four Colored Girls, which earned seven Tony nominations. Some of the cast, including Dee Woods and Alexandria Wells, told me about the impact of this play. Can you just talk to me about the response from the community that you're getting being involved in this project? It's the importance of of
9: sharing stories from my personal experience, being a woman of color, black, brown, deaf women out there uh, are often overlooked and underrepresented, dismissed and undervalued and
5: underappreciated P. Diddy in charge. We are here in Atlanta for Pierre P. Thomas, Quality Control CEO's Black Tie Birthday Bash, hosted by none other than Sean Diddy Combs. You know we have the exclusive. Everybody's rolling through. The one and only Koi Lorraine. Yes, yes, yes. Koi, why was it important that you came here tonight? And can you just talk to me a little bit about what P means to the culture and what he's done for music? So
9: I definitely wanted to make sure I am just a part of this. I mean, it's just a blessing to even get the invite. So much that they have done in the music industry.
5: We are at P's birthday bash, black tie birthday bash with Chubby
4: Baby.
0: My brother, Pete. We've been down since day one. Seeing this part two of this, is going to be crazy tonight. Hope y'all get to see the show. Man, I want to let you know, P, Diddy, I love y'all, y'all my brothers.
5: Lakia, tell me why it was important for you to come out tonight and what P means to the culture in the city of Atlanta as a whole. Well, I'm gonna start by
4: saying P means to me, like he the boss, you know, as far as in the industry. So he means a lot to me.
6: What's good? It's your boy Ed Dolo, man. Shout out to QCP. My name is Al Nuke. I'm one of Atlanta premieres film directors, and I had to come and show my brother P love. It's been nothing but respect.
5: Talk to me a little bit about what P means to the city of Atlanta, and even music as a whole.
6: I mean, just really just seeing his grind, a real from hustler to hustler, you gotta appreciate it, you gotta salute it. P not only mean a lot to Atlanta, but he mean a lot to the South.
1: I think what makes P, P
5: is that no matter how big he is, he's still reachable. me a little bit about what P means to the city of Atlanta and the culture in general.
0: Well, I think tonight is all about what Atlanta means to America. And P and quality control and Coach K have been so essential to keeping Atlanta at the center of black culture in America and the world.
5: We're here with the man of the hour who this this celebration is in honor of. P, we got to talk to so many of your artists, people here to support you, said that you did so much for the culture. How does it feel to hear that?
6: It feels good, you know. It feels good when people want to, you know, acknowledge your accomplishments and everything you've done, done. And I'm just here to have a good time, I'm blessed to see you another year, and I'm just thankful just to be in that position.
5: Our hearts go out to Master P and his family as they're mourning the loss of their 29 year old daughter, Tatiana. While the cause of her death has not been made public, the rapper, record executive, and entrepreneur shared that Tatiana has had struggles with mental illness and substance abuse, something that was addressed on Growing Up Hip Hop.
8: We're going to fix this. If you need to get help, we're here for you.
5: In a post on Instagram, her brother Romeo also added this touching tribute, requesting privacy and adding love on your loved ones. Life is short. Now we turn to our Stand Up For series and the amazing nonprofit dedicated to empower young Black women at a pivotal time in their lives. The program is making a difference, and it's part of the Girl Wonder Leadership Academy.
9: Hi, my name is Tola. I'm from the Bronx, New York, and I'm the founder of Girl Wonder Inc. Girl Wonder is a nonprofit that we started in 2015, helping young girls of color um, that are interested in, you know, media and entertainment. There was a need to help young girls that were interested in the creative fields because we kept pushing STEM, STEM, STEM on them. And not everybody's a STEM kid, you know, what happened to the, you know, the girl that wants to do marketing or the creative kid that wants to ride or the fashion girl. So we saw a need for that. And we just wanted to put together an organization that helped young girls, you know, ushered them into these, these creative atmospheres. Girl Wonder fits in um, at a very pivotal point in a young woman's career and life, right? And in and, and her collegiate years, you're going through you know, all of this emotional, whatever with your friends. Um, everybody's going through growing pains. But Girl Wonder, we really put together some tips and tricks on how to maneuver and how to get through it while figuring out what it is that you want to do in real life one of the biggest issues that young women are facing and like the challenges that they're facing is self-confidence. When looking at Girl Wonder, I want people to take away that we're an organization for young women of color. I just want to see dope girls do dope things. And I just want to help usher in girls like me from their inner city who want to be creative, to tap into their creative space. Girl Wonder is the organization that opens up doors for girls to explore the creative side and, and know that they can make a lucrative career and a happy life in the creative field.
5: We love her passion and are happy to see the impact Tola is making on the next generation of young black women creatives. Stay with us when we come back, our revolutionary of the week.
1: Welcome back. Before we go, we are shining the spotlight
4: on the black team of climbers who are now in the history books. Their feat to reach new heights is an inspiration to future climbers. And that's why the men and phenomenal women in this group are
5: revolutionaries of the week. A victory that ascended into history.
3: So earlier this week, the team went up higher through this ice fall that you see right here, the Kumbu Ice Fall. Uh, we went above there
5: to some higher camps to get used to higher elevations, breathing with a little less oxygen.
8: A few days ago, we flew into Lukla, and we started hiking um, in, in the Khumbu Valley. It's the valley below Mount Everest. There's no roads.
5: Full Circle Everest, the first all-black expedition to make it to the top of Mount Everest, the highest mountain in the world above sea level.
8: And Once you get to the summit, it's like getting back down safely, and that's... Like, your focus has to be there. And if it's not, I think it, you know, increases kind of the danger and other things around you.
5: A journey that took months of trekking and training to fight to the finish. Personally,
7: for me, it was such a huge accomplishment and such a huge effort. It felt really cathartic. You know, I, I certainly shed tears at the summit, and I think it was for all of the the effort and and all of, you know, my entire path through life to take me to that moment.
5: Seven members along with Sherpa guides helped make it all happen despite the obstacles that came along the way.
7: You know, I served in Iraq for 12 months in combat, and so you learn to work in a tight-knit group. You learn to negotiate terrain features and plan the logistics of things and your movement to account for all of your gear and make sure that it's working because you may need it to save your life or save someone else's life.
5: A feat for the history books and for the next generation.
7: And I hope that, you know, we do make the splash in history and influence more people of color to get outside, to, to get an outdoor education and to explore the world, have fun.
5: Talk about making it to the top, well done. That does it
1: for us. And we'll see you all next time, have a good one.